Welcome to the Rise Network podcast show, a podcast dedicated to help you reach your dream lifestyle through investing in real estate. We're going to be sitting down with new, intermediate, and experienced investors to talk all about real estate and how it has changed their lives. If you're looking to scale your portfolio or even just get into real estate investing, you're in the right place. Make sure to tune in. Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Rise Real Estate Investing Podcast with your host, Austin Yeh and... Mayu, what's going on, everybody? Austin, how was last week, man? You did the piano without me. I missed it. I didn't listen to it. You didn't listen to it? Oh, no, I should have, man. I, I did see... I, I, I did heard did. some of my thoughts on a high level. Yeah, um, on the market? Go- yeah, on what was going on, or I guess like not, I guess, reaching into my crystal ball a little bit, right? So, um, let me ask you this. Are you guys seeing a slowdown in the wholesale side? Yeah, absolutely. And I think people have been talking about that on Instagram as well. Um, and it's, it's, it's definitely a tough market. It's one of those things where you don't want to do constant price reductions because it's like similar on the MLS, like, but even more pronounced in the wholesaling world. Right. Um, when you do price reductions on the MLS automatically, you think either something's wrong with the property or I have a chance to really lowball this thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And and try to make it work, but I'm not going to really offer what they're looking for. If you see a couple of price reductions and it's even more pronounced in wholesaling, which makes sense because we're investors and we're sharks, we're tra- we're out for good deals. Right. And I have to be cognizant of that. There's not going to like from time to time, there might be multiples like a deal. We wholesaled a few weeks ago. There were multiples on it, but for the vast majority of cases, you're going to have just a few offers or most people would want to go for walkthroughs. And that's the new reality of it. Um, hmm. So we have to price accordingly for that. Right. Um, so a lot of the deals we put out now, our focus is not trying to maximize the fees, but more so try to get them sold at a price that makes sense for us and price it accordingly. Don't try to lowball it. Don't try to hold off on offers. Just get the deal done and move forward. Right. Cause I, mm. I think that it does reflect uh, not, I was going to say poorly, but it, it does reflect that there's a bit of hurt for all of the wholesale businesses. If you see constant reductions, and again, we don't want to have sharks come and just lowball the shit out of every property we put out. Yeah, I feel like maybe it was like four, four to six months ago that people started doing these reductions more commonly in the wholesale market. Like, I feel like before it was always just, you know, we're just going to list this and then it, it'll probably sell over, but we never really do reductions. For, like six so, months so ago. So the reason for that is because a lot of wholesalers were tagging on fees that were really high. They're not able yeah. to achieve it. So they reduce it, but they're still able to sell it. Right. Yeah. 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 No. Yeah. I, I agree. I, th- I feel like it was a new trend that started and um, no, I think it's a good approach. You guys are just trying to like, you're, you're trying to do volume, right? Like you can make up revenue through either lower volume, higher, higher margins per deal or the opposite approach works equally as well. Right. Um, so that's, that's dope, man. I will say that even with price reductions, we're able to move deals, but not at the fees that we're used to. Um, Now a good fee would be, let's say 50 K to 60 K, which before it would be like 90 K plus. Right. Um, And I say that as a good fee, like a pretty banger fee, like those 90 K fees, we do not get them very often anymore, but it's a shift in the dynamic of the market. So I have a meeting with Waylon today and we're going to determine like what we're going to do on the marketing side, right? Because your marketing costs, like, as you know, your expenses inflate, you don't really, they go up, they don't go down, right? Like they're going up. Um, and if your revenue is not going to go up accordingly because housing prices are um, declining and at least in the suburban areas and they're slowing down overall in demand, like, what are we going to do here? Cause like our margins are going to be tighter and we don't want to cross the line where you're consistently 
negative net negative yeah. profit, right? So it's just a matter of figuring out um, like what we need to do in this case is to focus more on low. You can probably hear my dog barking in the background. Is it focusing on low cost strategies or is it a matter of toning down mail? Like we got to figure out our, our game plan for the next few months. Yeah, I would think like toning down mailers does make a little bit of sense in this market, right? Because people just don't know where comps and after repair value are, right? So even when you get leads and then you go to offload them and sell them off on the, like on the market or like through your wholesale channels, it's tough if you don't know what the property is going to be worth and it's tough to demand like a large fee, right? Um, I'm definitely starting to see the same thing, I think, in the mortgage business as well. Like I think... Um, it's a little bit different because people are still refinancing to, to make sure that they can kind of lock in the equity that the, the, the house value has gone up in over the last whatever like years. Right. Uh, but at the same time, like I'm seeing people that bought properties um, for themselves to live in for investment properties. It, it hurts more when you buy a property that you're going to live in and you haven't sold the property that you're living in right now. Right. So you buy a property that now has gone down in the GTA, maybe by like hundred, 200 grand. And then you were going to sell a property that has also gone down by like 100 to 200 K. So you're getting hit on both ends. And some people don't even have deposits. They get stuck in like private money situations and situations where they can't sell their like principal residence. And it's like, that's where like, there's a lot of kind of signs that this market is headed towards kind of like a recipe for disaster. I don't know if we're at that 2017, 2018 point, right? which was triggered by like stress tests and government interventions. But me and Austin were talking right before this, I've been bearish on the real estate market for the last like six months. But now a lot of the facts are really starting to line up that indicate that this market's going to be under quite a bit of turmoil for the next like six months or so. Right. Uh, I don't want to make it doom and gloom. Like we don't yeah. know what the magnitude is going to be. I, I was actually bullish on real estate until maybe two months ago, not less than two months ago, maybe like a month and a half or two months ago. Sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, with interest rate, interest rates are the great, great equalizer. Um, obviously real estate's a debt fueled sort of asset class. And so when interest rates go up, um, oversimplified, but you are going to see that impact trickle down into asset prices, in my opinion. And they're talking about potentially increasing by another 75 basis points. Mm-hmm. Um, was it another 75 or are they talking about 25? Not another 75, the first 75 basis point hike. <laughs> no, no, are you, are you sure it's not 25 on top of the 50 they already did? Is that what they're like referring to? No, they're talking about 75. It's said nothing is off the table. So the next one, I think most people were, were kind of expecting in 50 basis point hike. Yeah. Um, but they're saying nothing is off the table. It may or may not be 75 basis point. Obviously, there's no certainty or guarantee, but that is still an option. It's not an impossible option, is what they're saying. And if that's the case, we're at 1%, 1.75%. That brings us to like pre-pandemic level rates, or like I believe it was pre-pandemic level rates, right? So pre-pandemic, 2019 BOC was at 1.75. Yeah. So I think if they there. do if they do another 50 basis point hike, I think they'll be at two percent. But the difference I think between 2019 and now is 2019 we were getting like like mortgage rates where it was like variable like prime minus like i don't know 0.5 right or or 0.7 or something like that right that was kind of the norm now all the banks are kind of like yo we're not giving out discounts because like it, it it's interesting when you see what the banks are doing they perceive a lot of risk right so they're like you know what we're not giving out that much discounts from the variable rate we want we want to push people into into the fixed rates which are stupid high right um, and they're going we're going to do like prime minus 0.2 right so even though the boc rate is very similar the mortgage rates are are getting up there. Like it's definitely like, I think people are going to start paying like 3% even on a variable as the norm, right? 
I think it's what we're headed towards right now. We're at like a 2.5, 2.6, another 50 basis points hike. And we're basically at 3%, right? So it's unheard of times. Rates right now? Yeah, that's... Uh... <laughs> yeah, it's 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 interesting. I wouldn't I wouldn't even say it's unheard of because like people have you know people have paid this before, but now we're at all time highs on real estate prices, and to have Thank a return to normal right. on like, rates um, could end up spooking a lot of like especially newer investors that maybe aren't used to this stuff as much. And um, I mean, it's, it's spooking me a little bit as well, right? So, <laughs> we'll oh, see. I, I guess uh, we. <laughs> There's some positive at the end of the light. I do foresee deals. Am I going to still move on deals? Sure. But like my criteria is going to change in the sense yeah. that, okay, the leap capital tied in one and two is we're going to do deals one by one now, or maybe like two deals concurrently tops, but uh, limit private money, limit yeah. doing five deals at a time. Um, because the more deals you do, my, you and I know, like it, it's more of the domino effect, right? Cause you mm-hmm. usually need one to fund the other, to fund the other, and <laughs> then like it, <laughs> it all comes tumbling down. So just being more cautious overall. Um, but there will be opportunities there, right? And the savvy investors always win. It's not a race. I think I, I said this on social media, everyone treats it as a race, but like real estate to longevity, right? It's like, it's longevity. So you stay in the game. Um, you're consistent you're patient. Even if you grow your portfolio by two properties a year, um, obviously we're, we're savvy investors. We want to grow more aggressively than that. But even if you do two properties a year in 20 years, you are laughing, right? Like you are winning in life in so many different ways. So like there's a constant pressure to continually acquire, but sometimes the best move is just to take it slow. Anyways, we chatted long enough in the preamble. We're going to jump straight into the podcast today. We have our Paladin Ara. For those of you guys who don't know him, he's a structural engineer now turned a real estate investor, um, entrepreneur in his own sense. He started his own construction company and he was focusing on duplex conversions and now even multifamily properties as well. He's soon to be getting garden suites in Cambridge in the Kitchener area. So doing a ton and uh, has only been investing for the past few years. So still a relatively new investor, but still expanding his horizon. Ara is an advocate of stock options trading. So he has multiple sources of income. Um, he's, he's living the married life with three young children. So balancing a ton, it's going to be a fantastic episode. Dive into a ton of different things. You don't want to miss this one out. Make sure to tune in. Hello everyone. We are joined with our very special guest, Ara. Ara, how's everything going, man? It's good. Awesome. Thanks for having me guys. For sure. So Ara, for, for anyone that doesn't know you, why don't you give us a uh, you know, quick background on yourself? Um, your investment journey today and, and, and what you're up to. Yeah. So, uh, I started, um, really going full throttle in real estate investing in 2020, uh, start of COVID COVID really opened my eyes to, uh, just reality. Um, I, a structural engineer by trade, um, and I was working for a general contracting company building like apartments and condos. I actually started a job. I started, I'll never forget this March 16, 2020. So literally like the week COVID started is when I started with the new company and they like wooed me to come over there. We're going to make you project manager, this and that. I was like, this is a, it was a great company too. Like they're doing cool projects. And then I was like the second guy to get laid off. I was like, you know, COVID made me really realize that I, you know, I don't want somebody else to kind of dictate, you know, putting food on my table, uh, especially because I'm married. I got three kids. Um, at the time I only had two. So I said, you know what, I got to do something different. So what ended up happening was I was actually reading Mark Loeffler's book at the time. Cause I always said, I told myself I want to get into flipping. Mm-hmm. And then I the finished, flip? was it that one? Fixed. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. With Ian Zabo. 
So I finished the book and I turned around and I just, I saw Mark's name and I saw Hamilton. I was like, I literally just graduated from McMaster. I know Hamilton well. He, if he's like somewhat local, even though I'm, I'm Cambridge Kitchener, but I said, you know what? I'm going to reach out to him. And I literally like reached out to him on LinkedIn and he gave me the most simple advice. And he said, look into duplex conversions. I was like, all right, it seems simple enough. So I just went full throttle. I went hundred uh, percent all in YouTube videos, um, everything. And I said, you know what, this honestly, I, I then that's how I got introduced to the Burr method and everything like that. I was like, I, I got to do this. I started basically searching for a bungalow in Cambridge. Um, I found one after about a month of looking, it was the perfect kind of opportunity to do the duplex conversion. And I'm quite technical with, um, my background in engineering and stuff. I had AutoCAD on my computer, so I did all my drawings and at this point I didn't even have a job. So it was the best kind of use of my time anyways. How, how are you qualified for a mortgage at that point? Uh, first one I had to do private. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that one was, was all private money. And then I also did have some savings that I used for renovations. Um, but again, my renovations were a lot cheaper because I was literally on site every single day. So I did that one and I was literally on site every day, like framing drywall, like you name it, I was doing it. And, uh, it was a huge success. Cause like I literally bought in May of 2020. Mm. So literally like the perfect time to buy, finish yeah. that one up. And then I actually bought my second one. And now there was a kind of a transition where I started working for a wholesale company as their project manager of their flip division, using my construction knowledge there too. So because of that job, I was actually able to refinance that first property and then actually close on the second one. We kind of had to do it at the same time. And because a lenders were actually looking at me, so it was kind of like a perfect mix there. So then I finished my time with that company. It was like a short stint. It was like for six months. And then they didn't have enough time to kind of devote to, to flipping. And then I really wanted to just go full throttle with my company. So that was kind of the, the point where we mutually said, you know what, this isn't really working. We both had different directions and I went all in with my company. That's when I started my, my construction company. Okay. A, a lot to dig down there. Um, <laughs> I think the interesting part with a lot of people's story when they, when they've started recently is, is that first deal, especially since you've been in the game for, I think it's just coming to two years or maybe a year and a half or so. Right. Um, uh, yeah, basically two years. Yeah. You got it. Okay. And how was that first deal? Like having no job, having children, having a fat, just, I want to state kind of put that mind frame for people out there, right? It's probably very nerve wracking for you. How were their emotions? Like, how did you decide on getting your first deal and how did the numbers pan out and who, who did you reach out to for private money as well? I always like have this, my motto is just like, like, what's the worst that's going to happen? Like to me, the worst thing that's going to happen, like I have a degree that I wasn't passionate about, but I have it. So worst case scenario is just go get a job. Right. So, I mean, even if it completely failed, um, you know, the, even, even like I was realistic, like the chances of that were, were so slim. Cause I would just hold it as a duplex. Um, so I didn't really see too much risk, honestly. And, uh, yeah, my backup was just going back into engineering or project management. So there was no really risk in that, um, purchase point obviously at the time was really, really good. I bought that place for four fifty six, and, uh, all my renos and everything, like holding costs, everything were only 110 to make it a legal duplex. That included up, upstairs as well, or just downstairs? It included upstairs as well, but upstairs okay. we just had to um, redo the kitchen, which I actually kept the paintings. I refinished the cabinets, ended up looking beautiful. Um, paint job, new light fixtures. There wasn't too much to do upstairs anyways, um, but it obviously saved a lot because I was doing all the work. So one, we were in about 110. 
with 456 purchase price. So we're, we're all in about 566. And in about March of 2021, I got appraised for 705. So basically pulled out like 564. So it was, it was, it was 100% burr. So I pulled out all my money out, paid my private lenders back. And then I got all my renovation money back too. And I was able to recycle that one right into the second deal. You spent a year-ish working on your first deal, right? Yeah. By the time we closed, it was June of 2020. Okay. Okay. But the Cambridge really screwed, uh, city of Cambridge screwed me over. Um, they have this really, really terrible, um, a lot of people have the 60-40 rule. Um, 60% of the total gross floor area has to be allocated to the principal residence mm-hmm. and then 40% for the basement. But they consider like the whole basement, like even unfinished space, they consider it. So if you think about a bungalow, if you got a thousand square feet, it's always going to be 50, 50 to them. So I was trying, like, I went back and forth for months, like, you know, screenshotting bylaw, everything. I was like, guys, you, this is not how you're supposed to be interpreting. This is not right. Because you're basically saying if my house was a two story, it would work. If not, never have a basement apartment. Yeah. So they forced me to do minor variance. It didn't matter what I said. And actually it's funny enough, um, in May of this year, they're actually changing that bylaw. So you are allowed to use hundred percent of the, the basement in Cambridge now. Um, and they're also allowing garden suites, but yeah, it's just funny that they actually changed that. So that's why I got delayed by like three months because of the minor variance. And in that filler time, I actually was able to pick up some, some side jobs, just doing renovations for other people. Uh, so it actually worked out cause I was actually able to just kind of strengthen my craft and, and get better at the things. So we basically started in like November, like full throttle with the, with the renovations. And then we finished in, in about March. Got it. And if it was worth seven, seven, what did you say? 750 back in 2021. 705. Yeah, it was 705. Those are like definitely like north of 900 now, right? In today's market. Or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's Kitchener versus Cambridge versus Waterloo. Well, this, this area of Cambridge, it's not like, it's a beautiful area. I really like it. But if you had to pick, it's not the most desirable, far from the 401 and that. So it would definitely get appraised for 900 right now. Whereas other areas of Cambridge would be pushing a million. Insanity or duplex. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Okay. So I guess you ended up doing your first deal there. Um, and during that time between you were doing the deal, you also worked for a wholesaling company. At what point did you decide that you wanted to start your own company instead of working corporate again? Um, because I know for a lot of people, it's like working corporate, grow the portfolio, get cash flow or whatever the case is, and then retire off of that you got let go, went full throttle into real estate, I guess, got a job and you're like, no, forget it. I'm going to start my own company right away. So what was that kind of transition like? So honestly, like I just had to like, listen to my gut. Like I took that job just for mortgages. Um, and, and and, like, they were like amazing people to work with and everything like that. And, and I actually flipped a house in Brantford with them. And it was actually like such, it it made me so passionate with flipping. Um, it was a very, very successful deal. I love doing it, but just something about like, I'm just not designed to be an employee. It's just, I knew that literally right after graduating, working for people, I never liked any of my jobs after graduating. Uh, so I knew like, look at the end of the day, like my father's an entrepreneur as well. He kind of embedded that in my brain. Like eventually that's what you wanted, like to be successful in life. Like that's what you have to be doing. So I said, like, even when I started for that flip, like flipping that house, it just never in my, in my, like deep down, I was like, I know I have to be doing something on my own. So it was just kind of, taking that plunge and doing it. And it was, it was honestly the best thing I could have done. I also at the time didn't really know about B lenders and commercial financing and even other sources of private lending. So um, it was definitely less nerve wracking after I kind of figured out those streams. 
Got it. And so what is your business out today? Like, are you primarily, um, doing like renovations for individuals or are you working on the flip flipping of properties? Or like, what, what is your business look like now? Yeah. So when I first started, I was doing renovations for like basically anybody that had like a decent sized job, but now it's, it's really focused. Like we only work for, for investors, um, yeah. or, or homeowners that literally want to like gut their whole house. Yeah. So we work with investors like right now, currently on the go, we got a, we got two units out of a 17 unit apartment building in Kitchener. We're turning over the units, like complete gut. Like they haven't been touched since like the eighties. Um, so projects like that are, are what we like, uh, flipping houses is what I'm building the company into next rather flipping like with partners or just flipping for investors or flipping for ourselves. That is more of a passion project. I absolutely love doing it. And, uh, yeah, so that's kind of the, the direction of the company. I'm curious about that business because I, I know a couple people that are in the renovation space and, um, I could be wrong about this, but it seems like you have. Um, you're, you're employing individuals in your teams. I don't know if you're necessarily swinging the hammer, but I'm going to take the impression that, you know, you're, you're more so kind of project managing it. You've got different contractors. How did you set up that business for success? Because that requires a certain amount of profit margin, et cetera, for you to not have to swing a hammer. I'm just curious how you went about that business and how you grew it. I was going to ask the exact same thing by you. So honestly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So basically, um, I started, even on my second property, I was still on site. And then that was kind of the big turning point because instead of me finding my third deal, mm. I just focused on finishing my second one. And at the time I could have picked up bungalows for like 650 still, which I thought was high. Right now it's like, you'd be lucky if you can find one for 850. So that was kind of the big thing. I was like, I'm too busy on site literally every single day. Like I would literally go to the site at like seven in the morning. I'd finish at like five, go see my kids, put them to bed and then do all my project management stuff, going back with emails and stuff to like one in the morning. So it just wasn't sustainable. I got burnt out. Um, I wasn't eating healthy. Um, I got to the heaviest basically I've ever been, mm. um, which uh, is just, you don't feel good. You know, it just has a spiral effect, right? So even at the beginning of this year, I said, you know, forget this. I hired a personal trainer, um, going to the gym like six times a week. So yeah, long story short, I took myself completely off site. Um, I do one site visit a week to my different sites. And then other than that, I'm working from my office or, you know, on the phone, scheduling appointments with people, net, just networking and, and stuff like that. So I had to completely take it off. And then I also hired two employees. So I have a site supervisor and a lead hand. Um, so they're my eyes and ears on site. Um, and my site supervisor is literally amazing he can take care of so much of my work being on site. Um, so that was the biggest thing hiring those two guys. Cause we hire out electrical plumbing and HVAC, but other and like kitchen cabinets, countertops, but like we do all of our own uh, framing drywall. We can do taping, mudding, painting, flooring, tile. We do that in house. And then if we're too busy or I have multiple jobs on the go, I have separate subcontracts with that I can bring in to free up my guys time and then scale that way. Okay. So how did you find the right people? Because one common issue I hear in the construction industry, and I'm sure you probably face it as, as well. It's hard to find good people to work. Um, especially with, with CERB going on. I, when I was speaking mm -hmm. to contractors, a lot of them didn't want to do work. They were just like chilling at home and getting paid from the government. So how did you go about building your team out of laborers, people to do flooring, paint, uh, light fixtures? Yeah. So that was, uh, that was a difficult one. Um, I had an add on indeed for like four months and I wanted to pay low to mid twenties max. No, no, I, nobody, not one, one qualified person. I had people from like overseas asking if they can come to Canada and work. 
that's, that's literally it. Um, so I had to increase it. I just said to myself, like, I got to pay for quality and I increased it to, um, like high twenties, low to mid thirties, especially for a site supervisor. And then I started seeing the stream of people applying, but then even then I noticed everybody applying was still like in their like mid fifties minimum, right? Like all these guys in construction for like 20, 30 years seemed like they were ready to work. Like they're ready to go. And then the young guys were like, they were just kind of like you said, with Serb and everything, like they're getting basically paid to sit at home and play video games. Why not? But I just kept at it. Uh, Indeed was huge. And then obviously I, I paid for more like getting my ad like promoted to the top and stuff like that. And I ended up finding uh, two great guys, both somewhat younger that, uh, cause you know, it is more labor intensive and I paid them well. Um, and I'm not afraid to pay them well because I ran all my numbers and, and it's obviously makes sense. Yeah. And uh, I want them to be happy and I don't want them to just leave to go find a guy paying $2 extra an hour. So uh, yeah. Was kind of I don't mean to like make this entire thing about like a construction business. I think it's more so me and Austin just being fascinated because like you're probably the first person that we've had on here <laughs> that has a construction business, right? So you have to keep these people engaged 24-7. Like when we hire out to a contractor for like a renovation project, sure, we'd love to like take them from one project to the next to the next to the next, but there are gaps. There's like a one or two week gap and like you know, it is what it is. Right. So I'm just curious from your side, are you hiring them as employees? Are you keeping, keeping them on payroll regardless of whether or not you've got something going on? Um, and, and how's that business like work from that perspective? Um, yeah. So my guys are on payroll, um, and kind of what I, what like really made them want to work with me is like the types of projects that I do. Um, uh, it's not just like a three week bathroom and then, Oh, we got to find our next job. And at the time I knew I had this 17 unit apartment building coming up and like God willing, the plan is kind of to do all 17 units. Eventually they're just not all vacant. So two out of the 17 are, that's a big scale job. Right. I found that the guys like to be on a big job for like at least a month. Um, yeah. and it's more interesting. Like they see all the whole process. And, and another thing I did was I just, I had no reason not to trust them. Um, so I don't baby them. I'm not saying like, Hey, you guys got to text me every single day. I want to know exactly what you did. It's like, I'll know if they didn't do the flooring. Like if they took two weeks to do one apartment and to do like click flooring, I was like, guys, like, I know it takes like two, three days. Like, well, what's happening here? So I find it easy to hold them accountable and I provide them with like fun work. It's like, it's what they wanted to do. And especially with my site supervisor, I really wanted him to make it feel like, Hey, like you're the guy on site. Like, you know, you, you make decisions, you call me anytime you have a question, but like, I trust in your judgment and they just, they, they really like that. So I want to get a better understanding. Again, like, I don't want to make this entire thing about construction, but I feel like we're kind of getting to that way. So last question on my end, site supervisor, um, feels like something I need in my business. What is, <laughs> what, what, what exactly are the expectations for site supervisor? Are they jumping from project to project and just being there for like 15, 20 minutes and just seeing if everything's progressing or is there something more to it? And what is the payment like for, uh, I guess a qualified site supervisor? Isn't that a project manager that you're talking about, Austin? I know. I want someone like actually on sites as well um, among multiple projects because a yeah. project manager, they sometimes they won't, they won't go on site. They'll just like give a call to everyone to see where everything's progressing. But I want someone on site to see where the renovations actually lie and to speed things up, make decisions, yeah. all of that. So the way I've kind of set out my guys is my site supervisor still does a lot of the work, but, um, he's the one, like, for example, we have a, um, a project starting this week and, uh, we're renovating this house before, um, the family moves in. 
Uh, so they just bought this house, like big, beautiful house in Cambridge, and we're renovating it for them before they move in. So my site supervisor is going to go make, go there, make sure the electrician's all good. He knows how the pot lights are going and everything like that. And then he's going to go back to my kitchen apartment building and um, making sure the site's going smooth with the two units there. So his job is definitely more of making sure the sites are running smoothly, but at the same time, he's qualified to do all of the work himself as well. Mm. So he's the one that would be in charge of making sure materials get there on time. Um, and then see what people would need in addition and stuff like that. So he is kind of acting as a project manager. He's just a little bit more hands on, I guess. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, he's the guy, like he's got a company visa. So if they run out of like caulking, like they don't have to call me and be like, Hey, we ran out of caulking. He just, he goes to home Depot, gets the caulking comes back. Um, and he's obviously responsible for identifying all the receipts. Everything is labeled for the jobs, what, it, what he bought, what it was used for and all that stuff. So he's got a lot of, a lot of control of the site. And, um, yeah. And, and, and like I said, like, I feel like they, they really like that type of responsibility. That's why they, they, they took the job. They don't want to be based. Yeah. And I guess it really works if all of your projects are kind of in the same vicinity, right? Like geographically, yeah. um, it sounds like a lot of your projects, you, you primarily service investors, um, and homeowners out of Kitchener, Waterloo, Cambridge. Is that right? Yeah. Within, within 45 minutes to an hour max of, of Cambridge is what we like to do. Got it. Yeah. Okay. That was a lot about your construction business, but, um, tell, tell us about your investing journey after that, right? So you, you had your first bird done. Um, I think you were starting to do your second. What did the numbers look like that? And, and simultaneously, I guess you started up the construction business, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the second one again was a huge blessing. Um, that one we bought for four ninety four, but it was in arguably the best area of Cambridge. It's called Hespler. Um, we got it for four ninety four because there was like flooding issues. Um, the listing wasn't done very well at all. They had it listed in November, 2020, but they wanted to close in March, 2021, which was perfect for me. Cause that's when my first one finished. Yeah. Um, and like just simple things, like I heard from the neighbors, they used to like play with like BB guns. So they'd make a bunch of holes in the walls, but so they got somebody to go patch them all, sand them, but they just didn't bother to paint it. So there was just white patches everywhere. So just like little things like that. And then I, I did the walkthrough and I was like, this is literally perfect. I'm not afraid of a flooding issue because they even had a quote from a really, really reputable basement solutions company out of Cambridge. Um, I was like, I have no problems with this. So all literally all we did was we took the quote minus the asking price and then we submitted an offer and then we got it. And, uh, yeah, so we got that one for 494. That one needed like basically everything though, like new roof, um, or like reshingled, uh, widen the driveway, new eaves. Cause the eaves were just not working, fixing the flooding issue. The main floor was a complete gut. Like we took down load bearing walls, opened it up. We did like everything, like complete transformation. And then the same with the basement. We took load bearing walls out of the basement, opened it. It was just a huge, huge transformation. So my budget was 170 on that with holding costs and like utilities and everything like that. So I was 170 on that one, but that one will easily get appraised for 950 right now. So you said you bought it for 500, right? 494. Yeah. So I'm all in about the 660, 670 mark. Yeah. That's a big so, lift, man. And that's the thing with like, um, kitchen wire, like Cambridge, like Hamilton, Welland now as well. Right. Like I think, um, when you're doing with these bigger projects, you really only need to do one or two projects to get a nice 200 K lift. Right. Yeah. Um, are you doing, did you do that one with the partner or are you, you self-funding? No, that one I was able to get, um, a financing. So I just recycled the money from my refinance on my first one and then just literally dished it right back in there. Uh, and then I also used, I had a line of credit in my house. So used the line of credit to fund the renovations for that one. Cause the renovations were so significant, 
But again, I, I don't want to make it seem like I knew it was going to be worth like 950. Like I was projecting it to be around the, the 800 mark, which still would have been like a basically a close to a perfect burr. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of what I had in my mind, especially because my first one got appraised at 705, even though it was in a less area of Cambridge. And I think that was even still low, the 705. So I was very confident with that second one. So then I took a bit of a break and I just really focused on my business um, for the rest of 2021. Um, you know, I built that business up a little bit. I had the six months of showing like bank statements. So then I was able to actually get qualified for some B lending. So that was a, a big plus for me. So now I, I just closed on my third duplex conversion in Cambridge. Uh, we just closed like last week. Um, so those three are all no partners. That's just me. And then um, I also just bought with a partner. This is my first partner. Uh, we just got our first multi. So we got a, a sixplex in uh, Kitchener. Oh. Nice. Okay. So I want to break those two down. What is it? What do the numbers look like on a conversion in today's market? Super high level. I know you haven't really gone through it yet, right? Like you're like, you're doing it actively probably right now going through the renovations and stuff, but you know, in a hypothetical, what do the numbers look like now? Yeah. So the numbers like don't look good at all right now, but this was more of just like a, I just wanted to just get another piece of real estate because especially with what's going on. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It, it might stay stable. It might drop, which I doubt it might keep going up. I, I don't know. So I was able to get this one kind of off market. Um, it was an executive deal with my realtor. So they're close relationship with my realtor. And she just basically said to him, she's like, I want to sell this privately. If I have to take a bit of a discount, she would, she's moving to BC. She just wants to sell it. Great bungalow in an amazing area of Cambridge. So I actually, I picked that one up for 800, but it's basically moving ready, like not moving ready, but it's, it's nice. Like there's literally nothing wrong with it. We're just going to go through the process of legalizing it with the city of Cambridge and do some minor, minor rentals just to kind of get it to our standard. And that's it. And then, um, so we should only be in around 900 for it. So I would think eventually this year, it should like appraisals should appraise it for a million, but even if they did 950, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that 50 K, um, spread yeah. for now. It's, it's not like, you know, I knew going in, it's not going to be hundred percent burr, but Again, I was able to, um, you know, dump some money into another property because I sold my primary residence in Kitchener. So I wanted to, to allocate some of those funds. So it was kind of the perfect opportunity. So we jumped into that. Awesome. And, and, and tell us about the sixplex because I think that's the, uh, that's the main one there. So tell us how that, that, that worked out. How'd you get yeah. the well? What are the numbers? And yeah, so I'm, I'm so passionate about this one. Like I, uh, I think this might be one of my last duplex inversions. I really want to just focus on Maltese. Um, the whole process was just so like, so fun. I'm part of Durham REI. The gentleman who runs that Quentin Souza, he, uh, he referred me to a broker that just does Maltese in the Cambridge Kitchener area. So I honestly just reached out to him. I joined his list and then, you know, he had a listing come up and, uh, we were, I don't know how many people got the deal, but three people ended up putting an offer. And, um, I didn't want to just go through this realtor because he also represents the seller. So I brought Mark Loeffler to represent me as well. And I just wanted to get his expertise and have him guide me through this process. Cause again, it was, um, first time, you know, I've done, I've done anything to this scale. So we picked that one up for 1.42 for a six plex with <laughs> very, very, very under market rents. And, uh, yeah, one unit, it looks like it's already going to be for when I say under market rents. So the one person is paying seven forty eight for a one bedroom, which yeah, is, it's ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> and then another person is paying eight forty eight for a two bedroom. What how is the market? How do you go about financing this then? If the, it's easy, like what, like forty percent below market value or something like that sounds like more fifty. Yeah. Even, but um, so, how do you go about for financing? So it was a bit of a struggle. 
Um, most people were only doing um, 60% loan to value, but we ended up- bad for that. Yeah, I was just going to say for the, for if it's half a market rent and you're getting 60% loan to value, that's really impressive. So basically with uh, my JV partner, they had a very, very good standing with CIBC and using his history with the, with the bank and everything like that, they were actually able to do some special um, commercial financing and they were able to get, they weren't able to get us like 75, they were able to go up to 70, just under 70 technically. Yeah. That was the only way we were able to, to pick that one up. So what was the due diligence process on this particular deal? What attracted you to it? Um, Is there a game plan to turn around tenants and with the JV structure with you and your partner, is he bringing all the capital you're doing all the work? Let's walk us, uh, walk us through some of that. Yeah. Yeah. So JV partner uh, is bringing capital. Um, I'm doing all the work. So like basically I did every single thing to close this property. So we're getting about $6,700 worth of rent right now because like a couple of them aren't so terrible like a uh, two bedroom is 1400 market is probably closer to the 2000 um even if i put like washer dryer dishwasher it probably is going to be actually more than that like 2200 so like i said like those rents aren't that that far off that bad that it's like terrible but a couple of them like i said are, are terrible like 848 for a two bedroom so it was actually pretty interesting so the one unit the one one bedroom that was 748 uh, there was actually a fire in her unit. So when I think that was kind of one of the reasons why the seller was just kind of fed up, she even lived in the building for a while. She was fed up, especially I think with that's one particular tenant, she just wanted to sell the market hot. So we made a kind of a deal where we're like, Hey, whatever happens with the insurance, like you can keep that payout, just give it the building to us for our price. And then like, I have a construction company. So redoing that unit, like it's down to studs, which is even better for me. So that was kind of a a good negotiating tactic there. Like some people might've been scared of that, but uh, how did you get CIBC commercial financing? If there was a fire in a building, did the appraiser not flag that? No, they did. But the insurance already went and did the due diligence of like getting that unit down to like the studs. And then the tenants insurance was paying the rent. So it was like, nothing was really different. And it wasn't like a significant it was more smoke in her unit. That's it. Like it was, okay. um, it wasn't like none of the other, the building wasn't really affected other than her unit, but I guess with their protocols, they had to strip the entire thing down because of the smoke. And then, yeah, like I said, it helped with the insurance still paying that person's mm-hmm. rent, even though it was so low. And I think me having the construction, cause like we, we had a corporation. So me having that construction company on the side probably like helped out a lot. And, uh, yeah, so we, um, I was under the impression that this person's still allowed to come back because technically speaking, their insurance is still paying rent. But ever since we took possession, she hasn't returned my phone calls. She hasn't emailed me back. She hasn't paid rent, nothing. So to me, it almost seems like it's an abandoned unit. So we might, I don't want to push my luck, but we might be able to turn that thing over and and rent it out. It probably was the previous landlord's insurance that was paying her the rent for that unit. Um, under the, what do they call it? Austin? Cause we, we've got on some properties, right? Like the rental loss of rent or something like that coverage policy Yeah, that might not have been the previous tenant paying the rent. It might've been the previous landlord at which point you're fine. <laughs> yeah. So, so basically, um, because of that, like I was afraid, like I'm going to have to renovate this, make it beautiful. And she's going to come back and she wasn't a good tenant. Like all five of the other tenants were complaining about this one particular unit. 
Um, but honestly, I haven't, I haven't heard from her and the tenants are saying she hasn't, they haven't came, she hasn't came back since the, like the fire, nothing. So, uh, yeah, like we're just going to renovate it and, and rent it out and just kind of, I have proof that I've tried to contact her and, and willing to work with her. And to me, it's, it's an abandoned unit. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And when you were placing that offer in, since it was, I, I wouldn't call it competitive three offers. I would assume nowadays it's a lot more. Did you have to go clean or did you have time to do some due diligence with that property? No, we have to go clean. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. So everything was all set up. And and what's the numbers like for this deal? Is there a plan of turnaround time? And are, I'm assuming you're going to burr it. So did you calculate through the numbers of how much it's going to cost and how much you're going to refi out and cash flow? Yeah. So the other reason why we were able to go clean and be really comfortable with it is honestly, I'll, I'm going to give Mark a shout out here. He helped us out so much. Um, like he even said, like, with all his experience, it was one of the cleanest buildings he's ever seen. So we really like, we inspected, like, obviously we did a walkthrough. So it wasn't like sight unseen or anything like that. We did a walkthrough. Mark was with us and I just kind of relied on his expertise to help with my judgment. So that's kind of where we're at with that. And now like with just one turnover, we went from technically speaking, it would have cash flowed like 500 bucks negative, but with that one turnover, we're up to positive now. So we're not in a, the rush, especially for my JP partner, isn't to like refi this thing like next year or anything like that. Like we have time and I'm also going to be looking into criteria for um, the new CMHC financing. So see if, you know, maybe we can get those like crazy 50 year AM and, and all that stuff. But you just got the building at under market rents as well. Right. So I guess that sets you exactly. up. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially some of those people like that are even paying 1400 that are under market rent but they're great tenants that might even help me, um, with that. Yeah. But yeah, just running the numbers, honestly, like with a, with a, um, with a, about a five cap, like I can pull up the numbers exactly, but conservatively we were looking at, um, about a $2 million ARV just with, with turning over some of the units and some of the units are already rented. They're just under market rented, like at, at three out of the six. So mm-hmm. really we only have to do full gut renovations on half of it. Um, so again, like our, our, our construction budget wouldn't even be that, that much. So even if we were all in like 120, right at a $2 million um, uh, ARV, we're, we're basically pulling out all of our money. Yeah. Yeah. That's phenomenal, man. And uh, I assume, so you're, you're navigating throughout the multifamily space now. Um, what was that transition like in terms of due diligence on smaller buildings versus larger ones? Is it very similar or a lot is different now? Yeah, it seemed different. Uh, like even just working with uh, the lender was like a lot more complicated. They wanted way more documents. Like, it, it was, it was a little bit different, but again, nothing, nothing too overwhelming. Again, I, I went from single family homes, converting to duplexes to a, a sixplex. So I didn't go straight to like a 20. But even just like closing on this property and getting like a big box full of keys just for six units. Um, it, was yeah, boss. So yeah. <laughs> it was, it was definitely, uh, it was definitely challenging, a little overwhelming again at the beginning to meet like all these tenants and to make sure like, Hey, they have all the information. They know who they're, they're paying rent to now and this stuff. So yeah, it was definitely a little bit more different, but again, like I was passionate about it. So the transition was super easy. That's pretty awesome. Ara. I think, uh, it's, it's been quite the journey and I've, uh, that's uh, a two year journey, but I think, you know, you've done some pretty cool projects and jumping into the multifamily space, setting up your construction business. So I think that's great, man. Um, generally at this point in the podcast, we like to ask, I guess, two kind of episodes just as we wrap things up. 
you know, what are your goals five years from now from a business? You know, I'd, I'd love to hear from your construction business perspective, but also your real estate side. Um, yeah. What are your, what are your goals? Yeah. So five years construction, I really want to just be like hands off overseeing the company. The next person that I'll be hiring is a project manager project, even a project coordinator type role to replace a lot of me, like emailing like a flooring company and all that stuff. Um, all that stuff that I can really train someone to do for me. I don't really have to do that stuff anymore. Uh, so building that company, keep building that company up, especially cause we want to start doing flips, um, with my engineering background, I am, uh, more passionate about like land severances, teardowns, really the bigger scale projects. Cause like growing up, I wanted to build houses. That's kind of what I wanted to do. Um, so looking at different creative ways to still do that, um, would be definitely next steps. And then always, um, helping investors, um, you know, with their projects, the bigger, the scale projects, the better for me. So that's definitely with the, with the, with the company. Um, I'm also in thoughts of starting my own, uh, project management, uh, division almost as well, since we already have all the construction handyman, um, managing under, you know, one roof as well. And then we, we can help, you know, investors even more that way. Um, you right property, now I do like a property management company. Is that what you said? Or- yeah. Yeah. Cause right, right now I do self-manage. Okay. Got it. I self-manage my, my properties. So, uh, again, finding like hiring, you know, people in house that can, that can, you know, do the leases for us and do the tenant turnover. But again, under our umbrella and, uh, just kind of like my, my, my goal is to just kind of have a bunch of different aspects of real estate under one umbrella. And then I think we can just grow even more like that way and, and help even more. Yeah, that's awesome, man. So, so let me ask you this, our second question, uh, for a new investor that's just getting started today, uh, what do you see as their biggest risk? Uh, biggest risk, honestly, is not taking action. Uh, definitely. Uh, just being scared and, and, and standing on the sidelines um, is definitely um, the big one. And then I'll also say what, from my experience is, it's not that I got too obsessed with it, but to sacrifice things like, like health um, is just, at the end of the day, it's not worth it. Um, there's no point of making all this money when you're like embarrassed to, to look at yourself in the mirror, let's say, or you're just like, my goodness, how did I gain 20 pounds? um, eating junk food every single day. So really focus on, on yourself as well. And like your family, your loved ones, and, and don't be afraid to take risks. Sure, man. I think, uh, something that me and Austin both realize at various points in our journey as well. It's just, you know, you sacrifice a lot to get to, to where you are and yeah, there's gotta be a limit on it. <laughs> <laughs> We're so addicted to working though, in this, uh, in this community, um, everyone just looks at each other and, and, you know, when one person hustles, we get inspired to, but people push it too far where it starts taking away, as you were saying, health, happiness, and that's not what real estate's all about. We yeah, enter like, in out, for like, the complete opposite of that. For sure. Like take out like, like this, like, you know, stuff that really isn't helping you, but like taking out like the gym, you know, to work more, like to, to, this was basically what I did and COVID didn't help. But at the end of the day, like I feel now like going to the gym actually helps my work. Um, you know, I'm not saying like, you know, play video games and stuff like that, but like, you know, really focus on the things that really truly matter. And you'll be surprised at how much that actually impacts your business positively. You're absolutely right, man. Really appreciate you jumping on the podcast. Ara. your story has been phenomenal from, I guess you were forced your hands into real estate. If that makes sense, doing it full time, starting your own business and thriving from it, opening multiple businesses now and getting multifamily properties in KWC, which is amazing feat in itself. Cause we all know how difficult it is to navigate around that market. If people want to reach out with you, connect with you, maybe work with you, how could they do so? 
So the best thing would be just DM me on Instagram. Uh, it's at Palladian Construction. That's my company name. Uh, DM me there or shoot me an email. It's just, it's Palladian Construction at gmail.com. Yeah, I think that's, that's probably the best way. Oh, that's awesome, man. All of the all of the social media links will be down in the show notes below. If you guys enjoyed this episode, like, subscribe, do whatever you can to support it. Five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. And until next time, everyone, invest smarter and live better. Take care, all.